What's up, guys? Today, I am talking with Casey Whitman, president of Watson Gloves. This is a really interesting company, 100-plus-year-old company, been around for over a century, making one thing, gloves. But you'll notice in the conversation, it's actually a lot more interesting than that because there is so much that these guys touch, and there's a lot to running a company that's been around for four generations. Casey's actually the first outsider, non-family member, to run the company in the position of president. He's going to tell us what's that like, what's it like to run a family business, what's it like to be in the glove industry for 100 years. It's a boring business. I love this kind of stuff. You guys are going to learn a lot. That's coming up right after this. Before we get to it, if you're new here, my name is John Davids. I've helped my clients make over $200 million working with my marketing agencies. You can learn all about that at johndavids.com. While you're there, sign up to the newsletter, follow me across social. Let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Casey, welcome to the podcast. So I was checking you out on LinkedIn. I was checking out Watson Gloves. And you guys have been around for over 100 years doing gloves. And that right away caught my attention because I thought, okay, this seems like a super specific thing to be doing for a very, very long time. So I'm kind of curious. What, like, First question, was this always a glove company? Always a glove company. We started making gloves downtown Vancouver, 1918, right on Main Street. And we've stuck to that. And I think that's one of the secrets is we haven't varied out too far. We stick to our core competency and we're very good at it. And so what, what's the founding story? Like who, who founded the company? What was the, was it like two brothers in a garage kind of thing? What was, what, what was the actual uh, early days? Yeah, so early days, we were making gloves for the dock workers downtown Vancouver, heavy dependency on the forest industry. And the, the founder's name was John Watson. That's why the company name was Watson Gloves. That carried on until about the 40s when the Moore family came into the picture. And that's who I work for today. So I work for the third generation of the Moore family. His name's Martin Moore. He's our CEO. He comes into the business every single day. And now his, his son, Jordan Moore, is also in the business and he'll be fourth generation. So we have a succession plan already in place to take this into the fourth generation of the Moore family. And were you, so was it always run by an outsider or it was run by the family for a bit and then they brought in the outsider? Yeah. So I'm the first non-family president of the company. So, and I started out on the order desk and just worked my way up throughout the business. I go far, so far back as that my first interview is because of a newspaper article that I applied to. So I've been here a while, but the was first like- non-family president of the company. Like first job, like out of high school, out of college or what? Almost. Yeah. So pretty interesting position, but, uh, you know, just really found that culture suited me. I was allowed to be myself and that's why I've stuck around so long. Okay. So it's a family business and you said that the CEO, so you're, you're the president, there's a CEO and how do you work together? What's, what's the division of labor between president and CEO? Yeah, so Marty looks after the, as the CEO, he looks after the vision of the company and he also manages the, all of the external components of the business as far as the real estate assets, long-term strategy of the business. And then I look after the day-to-day operations of the business. So are you more of an ops guy? Like you get your hands dirty, at like seeing how the gloves are made and you're talking to suppliers and all that kind of stuff? 
all of that and then some. And I still work the sales channel relatively hard, still get on the street, talk to customers all the time, talk to our distribution partners and, you know, travel over to Asia, see our overseas suppliers and, and partners over there as well. So what is the actual business? You're selling gloves. I know that. But who are you selling them to? How are you making them? What, g- give me an idea of the actual business. So we still make gloves in Burnaby, BC today. So that's a small percentage of our overall revenue, though. That's about 10% of our overall revenue. Our channels are retail and industrial. So when we talk retail in Canada, think of Canadian Tire, Mark's Warehouse, Princess Auto, Home Hardware, PV very strong across the, the Canadian business in retail. And then on the industrial side, which, which represents about 60% of our overall business, think of Granger, Valen, Fastenal, Craig Distributors, and many other regionals. Gloves are highly diversified. It's not one person who has the lion's share of the business. I would say the largest um, segment holder might have like less than 10% of the overall marketplace. So we're open with a lot of different people. So it's very fragmented. And when you talked a minute ago about the retailers, Canadian Tire, Markswick Warehouse, Granger, et cetera, are you white labeling gloves for them or are you selling them under your own brands? We do have some legacy gloves that we do white label. So you'll notice some out in the marketplace, like we've done work with Markswick Warehouse since inception many, many years ago, and we do brands for them. But under 10% of our brand today is white labeled. Our focus as an executive team is on pumping out Watson gloves. That's that's the focus. We're not that heavy into private brand. And is there is there a reason for that? And the reason I ask is because you know, like I, I've interviewed, for example, Menji Minhas, who's got a, a brewery, and she, you know, essentially white labels makes beer and and other alcohol for other companies under other brands. And there's a big business there. And it sounds like you've gone in the total opposite direction. But you used to be doing that because you said you have some legacy business. Give me the pros and cons. because I've always wondered, like, it seems kind of simple, like, hey, we'll like, we've got the expertise, we'll just make the stuff for somebody else. But then there's a lot of downsides too. So can you like, uh, unpack that for me? Yeah, I think that our, our commitment is to brand, right? Like we want to produce high level, high quality gloves. We kind of view some of the private brand stuff, especially in the commodity space, as kind of dirty volume. You know, we could certainly go after that, but the Watson business is growing fast enough without it. And we think that it's a more sustainable path for our future to brand ourselves rather than, you know, let's keep control of our own destiny, if you, for lack of a better words. Dirty volume, meaning like you're filling the machines with inventory to make really just to keep them running. It's not it's not the best quality, the most retainable kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, there's some really good private brand stuff that we do with Mark's Work Warehouse, as an example, where there's a lot of design involved. We're working back and forth. But then there's also a side of the business that's really commodity driven. So think of just like string knit liners that anyone and there's absolutely zero bar- barriers to entry. We we tend to stay away from that. What are the barriers to entry? Like a hundred years in business, it's extremely long time. So like, what do you guys do really well? Or maybe it's changed over the years, but what are those key things that you guys know how to do that others just don't? Well, first of all, we're unique in the way our path to business. Most of our competitors or worthy rivals are either retail driven or industrial driven. We do both. And I think we do both very well and they kind of play off each other. So 
with retail, we get to use our industrial savvy because we're talking to that end user customer all the time. And that's how we design products. And then on the industrial side, we bring over our retail savvy where we actually go into a Granger or a Valen and merchandise their showrooms, set up custom displays for that front end walk-in business that many of our competitors don't get into. They would have like untagged or uncarded product where ours is heavily brand focused. So customers are asking for our product by name. Really? Are, are you doing any kind of marketing then? Like does the brand marketing or the consumer marketing strategy, is that a big focus for you? Huge focus. And that's one of the big growth drivers in the last little bit. We've done a lot of cross promotions that have really helped our brand get out there. Probably the biggest one was with Spitting Chicklets. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, they have a massive podcast as well. Oh, yeah. All this and that. We've done some commercials with him that went absolutely viral. People are asking us all the time about where's biz when you know we're at trade events, et cetera. But that was a big one for us. Major League Baseball, we recently done a collaboration with them. Herschel Supply, which is a local Vancouver company that's just absolutely exploded. And then Hockey Canada as well. And we've done all of that in the last four years. So a lot of cross-promotion to get that brand out there. And is that like promotion you're doing in store? Is it television? Is it social media? Like what what's the what are the activations look like? Combination of all. I think our strongest hits have been on socials, though, without a doubt. You know, on Instagram, we've got such great feedback, especially with the spitting chicklets promotions. And then we also use the other channels like LinkedIn. We've done some TV work with Hockey Canada. That's been very strong. So it's it's a real mix, John. What about the the sort of longevity piece? I mean, have there been obviously you've only been with the company for a couple decades, which is a long time, but not a long time in the history of the company. Have there been close calls? Like, I, you know, you guys have been through two world wars, a Great Depression, and a number of downturns. Like, what what has the kind of trajectory of the business been? Yeah, not to mention the most recent one with COVID, which was very interesting, and that's when I took the helm. But going back, I think. Marty, our CEO, always refers to the 80s as a really turbulent time for the business. And when his father passed the torch to him, his words were, don't put it in the ditch, kid. So <laughs> when he, he passed a literal flaming torch to me, he said the exact same thing. So, you know, our, our goal is to be infinite-minded in all of our decision-making and make sure that we successfully pass that torch. But yeah, there have been some close calls along the way, as you can imagine. Tell me about COVID. I'm curious. I, I, so let me think for a second. So during COVID, people aren't going outside very much. So that sort of... Uh, I mean, is, is people going outdoors a big piece of your business? Because there's also work gloves and gardening, other kind of stuff too. That, that speaks to some of the longevity and the success, right? Like, because we're so highly diversified that you know maybe some of the industrial segments weren't going so well, but people weren't able to travel. So they're out there doing home improvement projects. That's right in our wheelhouse and right in our space. So that all those segments exploded for us. We had to get a lot very creative with our Canadian factory because the intention was to keep everybody working. Right from the get-go, that was my main goal. I wanted to keep every single person at Watson Gloves working through the entire time. And we were able to do that. And we weren't selling the typical gloves that we do in our Canadian factory, which is high-end gloves for oil and gas, welding, all that really slowed down. So what we did is we pivoted and we made masks out of the Canadian factory. And we got some large orders from Home Depot that really kept that factory buzzing through that uh, turbulent time. 
That's funny. So, so there was a point that came where you said, let's stop with the gloves and go to the masks. And is that because you saw just huge demand and a big business opportunity, or were you kind of forced to because you needed masks for yourself? A little bit of both, but we, it's not a hundred percent because we wanted to, we would have liked to continue just building gloves, but the glove pipeline literally shut off. So we had a couple of choices, send everybody home or get creative and find something to do. So long-term, I would say that the masks weren't the most profitable thing, but it certainly kept everybody working. How did you pivot from gloves to masks? I mean, I, the materials are different. The machines, I'm guessing, are different. The labor, like that, that's not an overnight pivot. No. And it, the idea came from just an email banter back and forth over a weekend. Next thing you know, we were down at the office on a Sunday with our design team. And Monday, we were making masks. It was really that quick. Right. But, but there's got to like, are there similarities there or did you actually have to learn a brand new trade? It, there are some similarities. So it's not totally foreign. And the material, the actual, what's, what, what are the, are these the blue masks we're talking about or were they different kinds of masks? No, we were just making the cloth masks. So we sourced the material locally in Vancouver here. Interesting. Wow. So you joined the company, was it during COVID? What, or sorry, you didn't join, but you became president when in 2020? In 2020. Yeah. And what, what month of 2020? It was June. Okay. So what was the logic behind having a leadership change at that point? I mean, had you stepped up and it was like, okay, Casey's in charge now, or was that already pre-planned? Pre-planned. So the, the great thing about Watson and our development around here in succession planning, I, I had been selected well before that. I was named vice president three years prior, and it was really a situation of do the job before you get the job. So Marty kept a real close handle on the business. I chatted with him every day. At the time, three years prior, I was actually leading the business out of Calgary as our VP of sales. So I relocated back to Vancouver, worked with Marty hand in hand for three years. So it was a very gradual transition. And when you actually made the switch in June, was it more frantic or was it actually a smooth transition or was it frantic because you were in a, a real stage of flux? I think it, it was <laughs> certainly to me, I was certainly frantic. One of the big uh, stories that happened at the time was disposable gloves went absolutely through the roof. So we right away, we started to get calls for volume beyond anything we'd ever seen. So at that time, it shifted from not selling to, okay, are we going to be able to get supply? And we secured a large amount of supply out of Thailand. We sold all those gloves all the way through. We thought, okay, we're good. We've got our strategy. We're going to be able to keep all of our people employed. And about three months later, we learned that the factory was sold. So big, big challenge. Quick break so I can tell you about DemandScope. DemandScope is a performance marketing agency that helps you acquire new customers, keep them hooked, and scale profitably. Google ads, Instagram ads, TikTok ads, landing pages, email, and more. There are so many ways to get customers today, but if you're not doing it right, you'll end up blowing a whole bunch of money. And that's why I launched DemandScope. We're here to make sure you're doing it right. Get more customers today and scale effectively. Learn more at demandscope.co. That's demandscope.co. And our purchaser came down the hall and he said, hey, Case, we got a big problem. All of these orders, they're canceling and they're doubling in price. Not only that, they want prepayment on everything. So the landscape shifted overnight. We had all of these, all of these gloves sold 
committed POs to some of those customers that I mentioned before. So we had to go back to those customers. And thankfully, we have trusted relationships that are so key in business. And we were able to say, hey, listen, this is the situation. The gloves have gone up by double. Would you still like to continue with this purchase order? So that involved a lot of conversations by myself and my team, as you can well imagine. And, and, what, and what happened? How many of them said yes and how many said no? You know, I would say about 90% of them said yes, even nice. though it didn't feel good <laughs> for anyone, including us. In some ways, we wanted to say, hey, we want to cancel these orders and we'll never do business with you again. The other side of that didn't look so good because the other side of our business wasn't selling all that well. So we said, okay, let's let's take this to the market and let the market vote with their dollars. And the market voted to continue. So I'm pretty proud of the way we handled that. And we're talking about the like the white or the blue disposable gloves, right? The latex. Exactly. Interesting. So you make you make those too. You make are there any gloves you don't make? Yeah, if gloves are such a wide category, people often ask, and even your first question is, how do you stay so nor- narrow with just gloves? But actually, the glove categories you can go into sports, recreation, firefighting, and some of that stuff we dabble in. But a good example of something we don't do is firefighting gloves. We just don't go anywhere near it. We stick to those core areas where we're very strong. Because firefighting gloves, I guess, are it's a whole different material at that point. Whole different material, whole different testing. Another example would be like high voltage linesman gloves mm. that need to be tested every three months. You know, that's another example of something that we just don't get into. Have you guys grown through mergers and acquisitions at all over the years? We haven't. And probably we've looked, and especially as the business continues to grow, there are opportunities coming across our desk. The big hangup for the business is culture. We're so strong in our culture. We kind of boast a, about a 90% culture amp score. It's really fundamental. We've got long-term people here. We feel like we're growing enough without it. So we, we haven't taken that step. I wouldn't say never. We'll, we'll certainly look, but uh, it's not something we've done. Now, on the other side, we're getting calls on the daily to be purchased. There's a huge, huge amount of companies that are being bought up. Watson Gloves is one of the largest independents left. So the calls to, uh, to Marty Moore are almost on the daily trying to buy the business. But that's just something we're not entertaining at this time. Interesting. Well, I mean, four generations is a long time for a family business to survive and thrive and still be a leader in the category. What is it about? I mean, you're the first person, you're the first outsider that's come in to run the company. Is there something in the family that has made it run this well for this long? And, and do, you, do you see it another three, four, five generations down the line? I, you know, I do because I think we've done a, a very good job inspiring the fourth generation. And it's the best way I can describe it is it's just personal, it's part of them. And, you know, people are so important to them. You know, a great story Barry Moore, who was Marty's father, who's passed away a couple of years ago. He used to give out a, New York, a framed copy of the New York Times for every single person who had a new child that was born. So I, at home for my two children, I have the front page of the New York Times, the, uh, the day that my kids were born. It's those little things that stick out that inspire people to stick around. And we have people that have been here much longer than me. We have people that have been here for 50 years. Wow. 
<laughs> and that's not just on you know an executive level or sales level. If you walk our factory floor, we have cutters that are artisan cutters that have been here 30, 40 years. Tommy, who's one of the turners downstairs, has been here for 50 years. So yeah. it's, it's pretty it's, different. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, the reality with family businesses is people hear this, but the first generation builds it. The second generation sees them building it and works hard. Also, by the third generation, they don't see anything and they let it go. And so once you get into the fourth or fifth generation, it tells you that you're doing something right because otherwise this thing wouldn't continue on as it has. What was the reason to bring in an outsider for the first time? Why not hand it off to, to the family or was there some strategic reason not to? Yeah, I mean, not to, I don't want to pump my own tires, but I, I would say that that's not the case at all. It's just the, the main reason it didn't go to Jordan Moore right away is because of age gap. You know, Marty had kids later in life. I think that uh, Marty and I see the business very similar. He invested a lot in terms of my training and development. There's a lot of trust there. So, and when he asked me to do it and relocate uh, from Calgary back to Vancouver, it was a big move for myself and my family, but, you know, it's been uh, the greatest honor of my business life to, to lead this company. It's been pretty special. And it's still 100% owned. There's no outside investors. There's no other shareholders. We have one owner and he sits 15 feet away from me. And <laughs> like I say, he comes in every day. That's very cool. That's very cool. Why not, or have you thought about expanding into other categories? I mean, you're in gloves, so yeah. how hard would it be to get into socks or pants or shirts? Huge temptation on that, that side. We could easily get into things like socks or safety glasses, for that matter, hearing protection. You know, those are all within our core customer base. We're not going with any horizontal growth right now. We're focused on geographic growth. So after you know, nearly 100 years in Canada, we're pushing forward in the States. We've opened up a distribution in Memphis and we're learning how hard this business is again, because we thought we would be able to pull some of these synergy businesses across the, uh, to the US easily. And it's been anything but that. It's been very challenging, but I think that's the part of the business I enjoy the most is that kind of fight in that new business development portion. So we're right in it right now and we're starting to see some good growth in the US right now. What made it hard? What were the surprise challenges? I think the surprise challenges are that, you know, US and Canada typically on the industrial side of the business, they just operate completely differently. So there's different category managers. It's a complete other process to be set up. You've got to redo rebate programs. So it's not just uh, something where you can just move it across and go, hey, we're here because they have existing partnerships. Right. The same that we enjoy, the same loyalties we enjoy in Canada, they have down in the States. So we have to really prove our value and we can't rest on the fact that we've been around for a hundred years in Canada because quite frankly, nobody cares. Yeah. The 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 history doesn't carry forward as a legacy as you would have here. It's 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 like you're starting fresh. And people know our brand name, you know, in Canada. And we're at the States, we don't have that. So we're we're going through that, we're building that. And that's why I think some of those cross promotions, like the MLB, when we're dropping that on them, they're like, oh, okay. You know, even though the revenue isn't huge, it's that affiliation and that name recognition that is important to those US customers. And we've got some big wins. We've got some product into Ace now. And those other customers that I mentioned earlier on the north side of the border, we're getting going. And it's a, it's a slow push, but we're getting there. 
That's awesome. Well, it's an uphill battle and you've got time, right? You've, you've been at this 100 years. So right. the next 100 should be pretty good too. What's the sort of team structure? So you, you guys are how many people and what, what kind of departments do you have? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, our VP of HR just said to me yesterday, I've been telling everybody we were 150 people in Canada, but she goes, we must have been hiring a lot of people lately because we're, we're up to 175 in Canada now. And we've signed some rep agency groups out of the States and uh, also some Watson employees out of the States as well in the sales capacity. But up here in Canada, the org structure is we have our manufacturing, we have our operations team, we have our marketing team and creation and development, and then a pretty flat sales structure with many of them reporting directly to me. So we're, we're nimble and able to make decisions quickly. And then of course our purchasing team as well. And maybe you said it, maybe I missed it, but who actually, how big is the team that actually makes the gloves? We've got a team here. We've got a factory manager downstairs and we've got 50 employees in the factory. So it's kind of a boutique factory. 50 people making gloves. And can you share any numbers? Like how many gloves do you make a year, a minute, an hour? Yeah, we make about 4,000 pair of gloves per month. Wow. And all, all in that factory or do you have any, anything happening overseas? Oh yeah, tons overseas. So that's, that's the primary source of our revenue is overseas driven. And we're operating out of, you know, China, Malaysia, Indonesia, Cambodia, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. So pretty well diversified supply chain overseas as well. The gloves are being made out there or just they're being, they're being sourced of the material out there? Made over there too. Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the purpose of doing any manufacturing locally? You could argue that, you know, it's, we're probably not making that much money doing it locally, but it's important to the family. As I mentioned, we've got these legacy employees downstairs. I think it also separates us from somebody just importing product to somebody who makes product. It's way more interesting for our customer base to come in, touch and feel and understand how gloves are being made. And at the end of the day, that's how the business started. And it's something we want to continue. Totally. I also think that there's, I mean, as you said, it's the culture, it's the fact that you actually feel the buzz of being there as right. opposed to just, oh yeah, there you know, our gloves are being made 6,000 miles away. Like it, it doesn't feel the same. Just yesterday, we had CIBC down for a yearly business review with the bank and we had a new banker come through and we said, hey, would you like to go through the factory? Now imagine if they're just walking through a warehouse, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not the same. Yeah, or even worse, just just a, a bunch of cubicles. <laughs> exactly, with with everybody working from home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's another question. What's your culture like there? Do you do you have remote work? Obviously, people in the factory have to be there, but can other people work remotely, hybrid? Yeah, we we're on a hybrid model. We we landed on that early in COVID. Typically, we do one day hybrid, you know, work from home, and then the rest of the days in the office. What we found is most of the people are coming in every single day. There's, there's a draw to the office. You know, there's a cultural buzz in the office. We want to be around each other. I think that's, that's when the magic happens is when, when we're together. And so we, we do have that hybrid model, but most, I would say most people choose to come into the office every day. Do you adapt? Is it a, is it a technology heavy business where you have to constantly upgrade, whether it's machines or or marketing or the kind of materials you're using? Are you constantly on the cutting edge of technology or is it a relatively old school business in that way? 
well, the factory is old school as old school can be. It's uh, it's absolutely tedious and old school, and there's not a lot of innovation there. Hence, the like the cutting and sewing that's going on. It's the same process that's gone on for many years. But there is a huge. Uh, we've had to put a lot of working investment into getting some space saving devices because the real estate in Vancouver is through the roof. The business is growing, so we're looking at some things to consolidate and. Um, add to our square footage without adding, you know, building upon building. And and are there factories like, could you, I don't know enough about the business, but you talked about cutting, for example, and picturing people at tables, you know, doing their yep. work manually. Is this the kind of thing where you think in 5, 10, 20 years, it'll just be a bunch of robots doing it? Or or is it not that simple? It's just not that simple. No, because it would have already been done that way overseas and it's not done that way overseas either. You know, there's really an artisan approach to the leather cutting. It's got to be stretched the right way and, you know, to maximize the yields of the leather. So we think that it's it's not going to change that much in the next five years. Is AI at all affecting your business? Are you guys using it, thinking about it? We're definitely, it's definitely top of mind. We're working on our executive agenda and we, we definitely want to uh, get some people in to talk about AI in the next little bit. You know, obviously we've got, you know, things like chat GPT and people are using every single day, using to help us write content online, et cetera. But uh, I think we could use it more. Well, this is really cool. I'll be honest. When I when I first came across your company, I was like, there's, there's got to be more. I'm sure it's just called Watson Gloves. Maybe they make a whole bunch of things. But the fact that this is a 100 plus year old company that's just done gloves as you said, it's a much, much bigger category. And, and it sounds like there's a ton of growth. Without, without even going outside that, you guys could grow for another whole bunch of years just doing more of, of the same. Exactly. Yeah, we're committed to gloves and only gloves. And we think that we can double in size in the next 10 years. Amazing. Well, Casey, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. We're a big fan of your content here at Watson. So thank you. I love hearing that. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating or a review on Apple and Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right.